0: Good morning, please turn reading your Bibles to James chapter 4. We'll be continuing our study uh, this summer on Idols of the Heart. are uh, you're going there, let me uh, point out the connection card. You'll find this in our bulletin. Uh, you can fill this out and tear it off through the altar plate at the end of the service. Uh, you can uh, send in a prayer request. The pastors can know about a need you have in your life. And uh, if you're a guest, you can let us know uh, about you being here. If you're a first time guest, We'll even send you a gift. We won't harass you. We'll send you a little gift just to let you know how much we appreciate you being here with us and and connect with you see if you have any uh, questions about our church. But uh, fill that out, Uh, especially if you're a guest. We would love to know that you were here with us. This morning, we want to talk about how idols destroy relationships. Now, relationships are what life is all about. When you boil life down, it is about relationships. And let me prove that to you. When 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 the teachers were trying to trip Jesus up, they came to him and they said, Hey Jesus, what is the most important commandment? They wanted him to, to maybe talk about one commandment and kind of leave all the rest and then accuse him of doing something wrong. And he basically said, I can't boil it down to one, I can boil it down to two. This is what he says in Matthew 22, 37. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's pretty amazing that Jesus hates. Uh, all of the Law of the Prophets' own relationship. And it's two relationships. It's our relationship vertically to God and our relationship horizontally to everyone around us. If we desire to be obedient to God, we have to love God well, and we have to love those around us well. But James 4 tells us that idols... Our desire, desires that are in our heart, idols, we, we're using those uh, words uh, as the same idea. Uh, New Testament, it's more about the desires of the heart. The Old Testament talks more of idols. But they mean the same thing. And then when we take those into our heart, it wreaks havoc on our relationship. Both our relationship with God, it wreaks havoc on our relationship with other people. And that's what James is going to talk to us about In James chapter 4 Verses 1 through 10 It says this What causes quarrels And what causes fights Among you Is it not this That your passions are at war Within you You desire and you do not have So you murder You covet and cannot attain So you fight and you quarrel You do not have Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So I want want us to first look at how we will not be able to love others when idols occupy our hearts. We will not be able to have good healthy, horizontal relationships with those people around us, which we know we're supposed to be having because of uh, Jesus saying that that was one of the two great commandments. James asked this question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Do you ever wonder that? Why do I fight with my spies? Why do I fight with my kids? Why do I fight with my friends and relatives? Why do I fight? And he answers it this way, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot paint, so you fight and quarrel.
1: So, what causes
0: the many fights and quarrels that exist in our lives is, is one overarching issue, and that is idolatry. We fight and quarrel because in that given moment, we are controlled by an isle that's in our hearts. And we're not being controlled by the Spirit of God. Do you know why this is helpful? It can be daunting sometimes when we fight about something different. You can't even remember what started the fight. And it is just like a mass of just a tangled web of fights and you don't even know where to begin to to begin to go through all those fights over the years and try to try to heal that relationship, that marriage, or that friendship? It's a thousand ropes of conflict all tangled together. Where do you find that one end where you begin to work those things loose? Maybe those many fights are not as disassociated as you might think. What if you realize that those thousands of fights? we simply the result of both of you and your spouse, or you and your friend, uh, or you and your child's y'all's idolatry. That in moments of those fights, you are both fighting for the idols that are ruling your heart instead of the Spirit of God. Let's look at some ways that idolatry, or desires that are in overdrive, look at how they can wreak havoc in our relationships with others. Many times we will view others as our idol. They will be our idol. We can make people into idols where we are depending on people in our lives to give us what only God is meant to give us. Let's say a girl named Samantha. and She's had a, she had a rough childhood. She had a, a broken home, a dad that wasn't there. She begins to idolize the, the marriage And having a good family one day And to, to have A great husband That just provides that perfect family That she's always longed for And then maybe her kids can grow up In, in, in a great family and That's a great desire But if that's at the center of her heart She's going to get married She's going to think she's marrying That perfect man we all can say that none of our spouses are as perfect as we originally thought they were once we move in together and start living life in that close proximity. And she's going to suddenly realize this isn't perfect. This isn't the fairy tale that I've always dreamt it would be. What has happened is she has placed that marriage, that husband, as the one who's going to fulfill her. And he never was meant to do that. That's only something that God can do. Another girl, she maybe has an opposite, opposite experience where she had the most fantastic father in the world. And when she gets married, she wants to be married to, to her dad. And he ends up not being like her dad. And very different. So what she has done, she's idolized her father, brought that into her marriage. She says, my husband needs to be just like this then she finds he's not like that, he's not like she thought, he's not like she thought he was. Say so David Jan, I'm not making up names here, uh, made up of things, but you probably know one of these situations. David Jan get married and their marriage is pretty good. The kids come along and all of their energy is turned away from one another and it's turned towards the kids. It's all about the little ones. They only communicate about diapers and ball practice. Romance goes out the window and they they realize when their kids move off, that they don't even know each other. What happened? They made their kids an idol. said, think about what kind of husband or what kind of wife God wants them to be or what kind of parent God wants them to be. They just idolize, they said it's all about not about God and who God wants us to be in all of our roles. How many children's lives are turned in disarray because they—they they, all they ever wanted was to win their parents' approval? They use it as an excuse of why they're admitted or why they make bad choices. And the truth is, a parent can really mess up a child. I'm not denying that. But why constantly make this bad parent that never gave you what they should have given you, why set them up as an idol when there is a God, there's there's a Father who who gave you His Son so that He could give you His approval, so that He could always say of you as a Christian, as His child, I'm well pleased because that person is in Christ, in, in my Son. Your life is constantly consumed by this bad parent. You make bad choices because of this bad parent. Trying to get this parent to say, I love you or I approve of you. When there's a Heavenly Father who says, drop that idol and look to me. Look what I've done for you so that you can be approved in my sight. Listen to me. People make awful idols. When you place them at the center of your life, I promise you that those expectations will crush them. And as a result, you will grow and bitter towards them. They may even be a great husband or a great wife or a great parent or a great child, but they will be crushed under the weight when you try to make them your functional savior. They're not meant to do that. You're not made for that. Only Jesus Christ is made to be at the center of your heart. When we seek the bulk of our satisfaction and stability in God, that's when we will see our relationships flourish. Because we're not so needy. Because we have a God that gives us so much of uh, of what we need. Not only will we be tempted to make others, to view others as our idols, we will view others as our means to our idols. They're just a way to get our idols. It says this in verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The, the, the heart that is being captive to idols is a heart that uses everybody else for that idol. It's about me, 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 my passions, my desires. I want what I want, and I want you to give it to me, or I don't want you around, or I'm going to be angry at you because you're not giving me what I want. One example of this would would be a business owner or a boss who all he cares about in his employees is that they make him money. That's all he cares about. A business owner or a boss that says, I don't care about you. I don't care about what's going on in your life. I don't care about having any kind of relationship with you. All I care about is that you make me money. That's not how we're supposed to live our lives. That's not how we're to to govern the people that work under us. Am I saying that the workplace should just be a relationship place and we shouldn't worry about... Business should worry about profit or efficiency? Of course not. But, but don't deny the relationships that you used to have and, and don't put the profit as the idol. Look at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A arranged their whole business model around the sermon on the map. Did you know that? That's what they looked at to form their business model and how they would treat their employees. How they would treat uh, the people that came to eat at their restaurants. That's what they looked at. And they are making a lot of money. And they are as efficient as any place. I've never gone to an inefficient Chick-fil-A. And yet they care about relationships. They haven't made money, the idol, but they want to honor God in how they have relationships in their business. When your idols rule your heart, you will use your relationships to serve your idols. You will enter into relationships for the benefit of, 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 uh, that's not loving, you're not going to be loving to others. You're going to be entering into that relationship for the benefit that they can give you and not to love them. And you're not going to be loving others when you're just looking for what they can do for you When, when we're told to love our neighbor as ourselves, what we're saying is, is look out for the needs of, of other people around you like you look after your own needs. And I guarantee you, we are looking out for our own needs. We're going to do that to everyone around us as well. So your relationships are to be about what you can give to others and not just what you can get from them. And when idols rule the heart, we're always trying to get others to serve our idols instead of us serving them. And thirdly, we will view others as an obstacles to our idols. Most often we fight with people because they stand as an obstacle for our idols. They're not giving us what we think we deserve. This is most often uh, clearly seen in marriage. You're on your own, you're doing whatever you want, and then suddenly, you're throwing under a roof with someone else that you got to think about. Yeah, I, I, uh, I recently picked up my, my, my tiny ones from, from my, my parents, and mom says, you know, I don't know, you always talk about these little ones throwing fits, but man, they were so well-behaved, they didn't throw a single fit. And I said, did you ever tell him no? <laughs> she said, no. Said, there you have it. We're, 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 we're on our own before marriage, and we're doing whatever we want to do. And suddenly, we're put on the same roof with this other person that may not have the same idols that we do, or, or may not have the same desires. And so we begin to go to war When we come to marriage with this idea that this is going to fulfill me, that this union will complete me, but what does the Bible say in Ephesians 5? It says marriage is about submission and it's about death. That's what it says. It's about submission and death. And we want to act like it's just this thing that's going to fulfill us. No, it's it's going to be a battle zone where we fight our idols, where our idols are revealed where we have the, the opportunity to grow in sanctification by the, by the idols that our marriage reveals. Dave Harvey, he says this about marriage, how our marriage exposes idols. He says, your spouse always cooks your idols. But marriage didn't simply cook my idols. It hoisted them six feet in the air and towed them around the house. I can't tell you how many times I thought, I've never had these problems before. This must be my wife's fault. The truth is, i would always been a blame shifter. It's just that after getting married, there were so many more good opportunities to express this fault. So whether it's marriage, whether it's your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friends, when idols rule your heart, You will never love them the way God has called you to love them. Now notice where this text goes next. next After after telling us that our passions and our idols are are causing fights, it doesn't say, so quit fighting with each other. It doesn't say, oh, just be good. No, it encourages us to look at our relationship with God. Because we must remember our biggest problem is not the idol that's at the center of our heart. The problem is the God who's not at the center of our heart. Our biggest issue is not the idol that controls us. It's the spirit of God that's not controlling us. And so the text takes a turn now to examine how these desires and passions harm our relationship with God. We will not be able to love God when idols occupy our hearts. Our idols not only affect our love for others, not only does it cause us to fight with others, idols certainly affect our love for God. Now, nothing can separate us from from God's love, but we can certainly go through seasons as Christians when we are not loving God with our heart, soul, and mind. While we remain in good standing with him through justification, our fellowship with him can be weakened and it can steal the joy that God wants to give us through close fellowship with him. First off, idolatry makes us enemies of God. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I've heard of people doing missions in other countries. They would go into a village and, and they would preach Christ. They would just say all that Christ has done for them and all that, that, that Christ is. And, and then the village says, Man, that's awesome. We like this Jesus. We're going to put him with our other gods. We're gonna, he's going to be one of these other thousand gods that we have. And the missionary's like, no, no. You can't do that. That's not how it works. He is not a God that shares His glory with everyone else. He's a God. He's either uh, your one Savior. Or he's not your Savior at all. You can't. If you're going to trust in Christ, you must trust everything to Him. How many of us we we too have these revolving this revolving door in our heart? Where yeah, on Sunday. And we get up, and we get all dressed up, and we go to church, and yet we see that he is at the center of our heart. But by Monday morning, that we've thrown him out. And we put we've put our work idol, or our hobby idol, or, or, or whatever idol we're tempted by. And it's just a revolving door. And that is not, that is not how we are supposed to have a relationship with God. This, this uh, text calls us double-minded double mind we don't have this singular mind for God, Christ we're going to have to know we're, we're, we have a mind going in different directions a heart, it's going in different directions being pulled by all these idols and, and the scriptures tell us that we can't be friends with all this worldliness and, and all these things that God hates and then somehow say that we are a friend of God We also see from this text that God yearns jealously for us. Look at verse five. Or do you suppose there is no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealousy, jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? He's jealous. He's jealous for our hearts. He's jealous for our affection and all that we are. You know, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey once uh, gave an account of kind of what caused her to leave the traditional faith and just kind of say, not, not leave it, but, but to reject uh, the traditional faith. And it was during a sermon that she served, she, she uh, heard, this is what she said. Then he said, talking about the preacher, The Lord that God is a jealous God, which that's not what the preacher said, that's what the Word of God says. She said, I was caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. I was 27 or 28 and I was thinking God is all, God is all. God is omnipresent. God is also jealous. A jealous God is jealous of me. And something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and that God is in all things. Man, she got that wrong. God's not jealous of her. God is jealous for her. And he wants our hearts. He wants all of us. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for our soul and our spirit. But she's not alone. In fact, C.S. Lewis, at first, he couldn't This was like a hurdle that he had to get past was the jealousy of God. He said it reminded him of an old lady, an old vain lady who was just always fishing for compliments saying, Praise me. Tell me how good I am. But unlike Oprah, C.S. Lewis had a revelation based on the scripture. He concluded this. He said in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him Lewis came to realize that God wants us to glorify not just because he deserves it even though he does and even though we should he invites us to glorify him because that's what will bring us the most joy and satisfaction in life that's what Oprah missed he said God is jealous all of our worship and all of our affection and all of our heart because he wants what is best and most joyous for us. God is the only object that will hold up to our worship. All other objects of worship will let us down and he demands the central place of our heart. Lastly we see in this text that God desires to draw close, and to give us grace. That though we see here that he's he's serious, he is serious, and he's jealous for our affections, but we see here a God who's ready, even when we have not had him at the center of our hearts, that he is ready and willing to give us grace and to come back and to, to be at the center of our lives. But how? I think this text tells us how. First off, we humble ourselves. Verse 6, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember that it's it's first and foremost not about trying to Hey, that's not what I want you to get from this series that, oh, well, i got to just go try harder not to worship idols. No, first and foremost, we always must, must humble ourselves and acknowledge I need grace. I need Christ. I need what he has done for me on the cross before I, I, I do any self-effort. I do grace-filled, God-saturated, humble effort to confront the idols that are in my heart. We first turn to the cross and the grace is purchased. Therefore, uh, no, we not do that long before we ever uh, begin to do anything in the power that he's provided. And next, we're to, Scripture here tells us we're to draw close to God. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We have a God that will honor our efforts to draw close to Him again. You know, Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Most people use this as an evangelic, uh, as an evangelism verse. That's not really an evangelism verse. That's written to a church. A church that is that has gotten off center in their hearts, or God's not at the center anymore. And so He's coming to them and saying, Look, I'm ready and I'm prepared to be at the center of your life, the center of your church, the center of your heart again. I'm here. And with God who desires to draw close to us. If other things have taken the center of your heart, you do not have a God that will run from you saying, Well, hey, you missed your chance. You know, I've I've, I've been seeing your idolatry. I don't want any part of you. No, we have a God that is willing when we repent to draw close to us again. Go to him in prayer and ask him that, that, that he would, through his spirit, center your heart once again on him. Go to him in prayer and talk to him to repent of any idolatry in your life. And open up his word and, and seek to, to, to obey it. And you draw close to him, and I promise that he would draw close to you. But we are called to resist evil. Though we humble ourselves before God in total dependence on the cross and what he's done, though we draw closely and we must not be passive about the evil that exists in our lives. It says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We are to go to war with the Satan who is trying to put these idols at the center of our heart. We go to war. It is an utter de- it is a war that's that we're fighting utter dependence of the cross of Christ, but we must fight it. Verse 8 says this: draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. We must be active to purify our our, to uh, cleanse our hands to purify our hearts by by being dependent on God and by by going to war in our own heart to look and hunt. We'll talk about this in the weeks ahead to hunt for the idols that are there and then to kill those idols and remove them uh, from our hearts through the spirit that God has given us in salvation. To conclude, I want to conclude with with Jeremiah 17. Starting with verse 5, it says this: it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So in other words, in other words, for saying that, that man, maybe a person, something of the flesh is at the center of your heart. That's what your life is rooted in. That's your strength. That's what you're looking for from strength. You're, you're not looking for strength. You've got to look at strength through a person in your life. Look at the description of that person. He is like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land. So what is the result of being a person that 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 is not putting your roots and, and putting God in the center of your heart? And you're a dried up plant. I, I picture not just a dried up plant, I picture a thorny plant that says to other people like I've been hurt by so many people I've been hurt in so many relationships you stay away from me I don't want to be hurt anymore it's all because that person has put their their heart in, in, in the wrong things and they say stay away don't get close I'm going to hurt you like I've been hurt. Because idols rule their heart, not God. But then verse 7 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. In other words, blessed is the man whose God, God is at the center of their heart, where they are rooting everything, all their needs and all their approval and what they're looking for. They're gone to God. He's where He needs to be in their lives. Listen to the description. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by, by the stream and does not fear when He comes and its leaves remain green and it is not ancient, uh, anxious in the year of the drought. It does not cease to bear fruit. So we have here, when, when you root yourself in God, you are this healthy person that and you have fruit where other people can come and be in relationship with you and it's not all about you trying to seek your roots into them and try to get get, get your get your strength from them. No you've got a source of strength in God. And so you're you're fruitful and, and they can come and they can enjoy your life and, and you can enjoy their life because we are fruitful people where our lives are rooted in God. So I ask you this morning as our musicians come, and you look around and, and, and so many of your relationships are failing and in some relationships are failing because of that person, because of the sin in that person's life, I'm not putting it all on, on you if, if you have failed relationships, but are those relationships failing? Because you're rooted in the wrong things, that you have idols at the center of your heart. Maybe you've never, ever rooted yourself in God. You've never come to that moment where you place Christ at the center of your heart. You've been saved through the cross of Christ. That's the only way you'll be healthy. That's the only way that your relationship with God is restored. Your relationship with others will be healthy is through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to uh, pray for you and ask you to respond to every God has spoken through his word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, God, I pray that we would take a look at the idols in our lives. God, move in us. God, it's so easy for us to, to examine the idols of our spouse, the idols in our kids' hearts, the idols in our friends' hearts. God, help us to examine the idols in our own heart and how they're affecting the relationship that we have with others. God, most important God, help us to ask ourselves what our idols are doing in our relationship with. God, help us if, if we're a Christian that just has, has not had you at the center lately. God, I pray you would bring revival to our hearts this morning as, as we seek you, as, as we pursue to have you at the center of our hearts as you should be. And where it is the most joyful and satisfying for our souls. God, move in us. Move in us through your word this morning say bye